of what we could study together and work on together. I want, I want to tell you one announcement, though, while we're all here and I'm still remembering it. Um, on November 8th, which is a Sunday, I think it's two Sundays from now or three Sundays from now, a couple of Sundays from now, November 8th, uh, there's a day long here at Spirit Rock called, uh, I think it's called The Next Generation or The Next, something like that, or Dharma Teachers and Their Heirs. But a lot of people are going to be here that day teaching. Um, Jack Cornfield and his daughter will do something together with Caroline. And Wes Nisker will do something with Rose Nisker. And uh, 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 Will Kabat-Zinn will be here. I don't think his father will be here, but he'll be here. His father, his father is so well known that he's here just in the air, whether, whether or not he's here. But Will will be here, I'm pretty sure. I think that Noah Levine will be here. I will be here with my daughter, Emily, um, who's a life coach, and uh, we'll probably do some sort of duet where she'll talk something in life coach ease, and I'll re-say the same thing in Dharma ease or something, because it's the same thing. It's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. If you struggle with what you can't change, you'll suffer. That's it, period. That's all. Dharma, and, we'll, and you can and you can avoid struggling. So we'll talk about that. But uh, Emily Borstein and Rose Nisker and Caroline Cornfield and Will Kabat-Zinn and Adam Barras and everybody's huh? Second generation, everybody, and it's very sweet. I mean, when I'm thinking about it, now, it's, it's now as it's creeping, you know. Creeping closer, we're suddenly thinking, uh-oh. Emily said we didn't prepare, like we have to prepare. So we do have to prepare, we will. But, you know, I remember coming on to Thanksgiving 20 years ago with all of these people, 20 years ago, yeah, more or less, with all of these people who were, um, or more years ago, and had, um, we used to have a... Uh, um, a tradition that on Thanksgiving Day there was always a retreat and instead of people going through the line uh, and serving themselves as people do on retreat here, the teachers stood behind the retreat table. How many people here have ever been on a retreat on Thanksgiving Day? It's very sweet because the teachers serve and the people file by and it's very dear and um, we did it and uh, then our children did it. I didn't even do it with my children because they were already too grown. I stood with my grandchildren. Uh, my grandchildren are as old as Adam Barras, but we'd have different generations standing there serving the food. So this is the first time we've had different generations coming here and teaching from here. So I hope you will sign up because um, it's not yet all filled up. So think about coming and go look it up if you need to. Okay, so I was supposed to say about whether we should turn on the tape. Now it should turn on. It's already on. Okay. Last week I said, you know, as I get, uh, one of the things I notice as I get older is uh, 
there are less and less new things to talk about or explain in terms of a formal Dharma lesson. Uh, I, I probably did last week tell again that uh, when I got, uh, I went to the Kali Chakra uh, uh, teaching that uh, the Dalai Lama did in uh, Washington, D.C. a few years ago when I came home. My friend Sally, my colleague Sally Armstrong, said to me, uh, how was it? I said, it was great. She said, did His Holiness say something new? And I thought about it, and I said, no, you know, matter of fact, His Holiness didn't say anything new. Because there's not much new to say. I mean, once you say, because <laughs> so, first you get taken aback about, went all the way to Washington, and His Holiness didn't say anything new. But there isn't anything new to say. You go there because His Holiness is saying the same old thing, because there's one thing to say that when you think about it and you look at the world situation or you read the newspaper or you go to Washington or you turn on the television, it's one thing to say that people didn't seem to learn yet that we could, that the possibility of peace exists not just in, uh, in our own minds but through our own minds in the world. If we stopped and if the whole world stopped, there's a wonderful poem by Pablo Neruda, if everybody stopped for just long enough to count up to 12 and didn't say anything and didn't do anything. There's the image of everybody would look around and say, look, we're killing ourselves, we're killing each other, we're overworking, we're despoiling the world. Let's do it another way. But everybody would have to stop at the same time and everybody would have to realize it at the same time. And then we start up again and have a new world of cooperation and friendship. And somewhere, somebody has to say stop. I thought about that it was going to happen a couple of years ago in uh, that period of time that we came to call the Arab Spring, where uh, there were huge demonstrations in, in the capital cities uh, of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who were behaving themselves quietly, no rioting, texting, but keeping peace. And I thought at that moment, you know, cell phones are going to save the human race. So people, will, <laughs> self, people will text each other, stop, everybody stop. Let's take a whole day off, let's not do anything, and let's sit down, catch our breath, and think it over. And figure out another way, because it's not going well the way that we are. So we could leave that hanging in the air. The other thing that we talked about last week is that there isn't anything new to say because there's just four sentences of things, the Four Noble Truths that the Buddha said we could say in another language, we could say in the teachings of Jesus, we could say in the teachings of the Talmud that, some, that life is a difficult, life is a series of challenges. It's supposed to be, you know, that you grow up and you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this and that. But it's, that's, that's the nature of life because we keep changing and we have to do new things developmentally. And challenges are not the problem. Challenges are the excitement of life. Um, somebody sent me a quote the other day that I wish I had written down at the time and, and brought. But it's something like uh, being at ease in life is learning to love the fact that time passes. And I thought, well, that's really wonderful because you could otherwise be lamenting all the time. 
my my uh, uh, my father when I when I was a child, my father used to like to say lines of poetry that uh, that that meant something to him, and every once in a while he would say, um, a, a, I think it's Paul Verlaine, I'm not sure. Où sont les neiges d'antan? Where are the snows of yesteryear? And he would say that in a certain time when he was feeling nostalgic about being young or feeling nostalgic about another time. I thought it was so remarkably fabulous to have a father who could say in another <laughs> language. But I, I actually loved him a lot. He was quite remarkable. Où sont les neiges d'antan? Uh, where are the snows of yesteryear? But you usually say that as kind of a nostalgic lament. But to celebrate, actually, that this is happening and this is happening and this is happening, and you move through time, this is completely unrelated, and I didn't think I'd say this, but one of the things I did over the last two days is I read Still Fooling Them by Billy Crystal. And I laughed so hard. Did you read it, Phyllis? It's wonderful, isn't it? Billy Crystal, imagine, is now past 65 because he's writing this pursuant to his 65th birthday. And it is so funny. I read it on the airplane for five hours, and it makes a five-hour flight quite manageable because it's just very... Still fooling Still fooling them. Still fooling them. Still fooling them. Something, something them. And where are my glasses? Is the name of the is the name of the book. But if you look up Billy Crystal and you can download it in your Kindle, it's page by page. If you don't mind looking silly on an airplane, sitting and laughing out loud the whole time. But he is celebrating and celebrating up to the end. Uh, you know, I, I I couldn't I couldn't all these things that he laments. He sounds very much like Wes Nisker lamenting. Hey, buddy, did you forget I'm here? You know that uh, uh, he's saying, uh, in order for me to have the total pleasure of babysitting my grandchildren, I had to get old. I couldn't have done this when I was young. So he's looking through the light of uh, how can I see this in another way? Which was, by the way, I'm glad to get around to it. The main practice, uh, if I thought about a spiritual practice, that I had in Washington going to meetings, listening to people in the uh, lobbying meetings that I went to. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. Maybe I'll tell you about it now. I went to Washington last Friday in order to be in a conference of the Peace Alliance. The Peace Alliance is an organization uh, that I'm interested in, among other things, there are many organizations that uh, many, many organizations that have uh, a goal of establishing peace in some way. Peace Alliance is an advocacy and educational organization that particularly supports legislation that would have an effect on creating a generation of people more tuned to the idea of peace than not. It's, it's very much um, uh, reflected in things like the Mindful Schools program, where starting in the kindergarten, people learn other alternatives to uh, expressing their anger in the, in the schoolyard. Starting with early childhood education for other ways to become aware of strong feeling in yourself and uh, 
being able to express it in a way that's suitable and doesn't create problems. I told the same story. I taught in a few places in Washington, including in, the, um, in a meeting room in the Congressional Office Building. I was so pleased to do that. Uh, first of all, it was a great... Uh, it's, oh, this is the second time I've done this, go and lobby in the Congressional Office Buildings. And it so buoys up my enthusiasm for democracy. First of all, they've, first of all, amazingly, you go through, uh, you go through a uh, security machine when you come in, but it's the same re security machine that you go through when you go into a theater in New York or into most places these days. Nobody asks for your invitation to be there. Nobody even looks at your driver's license. Uh, or nobody asks you why you're there. It's, it's actually somebody, one of the people I was with said, you know, I have a harder time going through the TSA to get on an, I have a harder time getting on an airplane than I do walking into the Congressional Office Building, which is very reassuring to me. We have quite an open democracy. You can walk into, and, and then you walk around and you, you know where you're going, but uh, you can look up where all the representatives have their office. You can come in. They've all got staffs. You say, I'm here from the Peace Alliance. We have some material that we'd like to leave for the congressperson. And are they in and are they uh, available for us to explain the material that we've brought in support of one particular uh, um, bill that's coming up for uh, action? Mostly the elected official was not there last week because they're back in their districts. Uh, but they all have staffs and they have very bright young people who are their staff. And uh, I, I started to learn last year that it's uh, a total waste of time to think how did this uh, uh, congressman or how did this senator uh, vote the last time and are they on my side or the other side. Everybody is devoted to making a better government. Everybody feels excited about their point of view. They're young, they're smart, they don't earn that much as government workers. See, I really admire they, that they didn't do something else, that they are there advocating for a better country as they see it. It's very exciting to me all the time. And you learn how to present a bill. First of all, the, the Peace Alliance is a non-partisan uh, organization. It has members uh, who vote on both sides of the political spectrum, which I'm happy about. <coughs> More on one side than the other side, but <laughs> we are rejoicing about it becoming more and more nonpartisan. Um, but I'm just very buoyed up all the time about you can walk in, you can go talk to, you can really go talk to your congressperson. Every time I'm there, I go to Senator Barbara Boxer's office and uh, she hasn't been there any time that I've been there, but I always leave my name and uh, with a note about, I voted for you for the Tamalpais Union High School Board <laughs> in 1960 and, uh, <laughs> and for you ever since. And I feel really empowered by it. Otherwise I get to feel, oh, the government isn't, you know, really. I'm telling you all of this partly to tell you where I was, partly to tell you I conducted, uh, they have a half hour mindfulness meditation sitting in the House of Representatives office building every Monday. And I got to lead it on Monday. 
and I will again when I go back. Somebody else is there every week. It was established by, by Congressman Tom, Tim Ryan, who wrote a book called Mindful Nation. I taught there, I had a half hour. I talked for somewhere between five and 10 minutes. I led a guided meditation and I talked to them at the end. And I told them the same, uh, I used for them the same uh, story as an example of the use of mindfulness as an inhibitor of inappropriate thoughts and then maybe uh, impulsive and unwise action. So for those who heard this last week, you have to hear it again. I'm sorry, but it's very, it works. I said I had just been to an opera. And that the, in the, the opera, by the way, is Lucia de Lammermoor, but it doesn't matter because most operas have the same story. The, uh, it opens with uh, the count of this area, man of power, discovering from his aid that his daughter, whom he has planned to marry off to somebody else who is going to pay all his bills and consolidate his empire, doesn't want to marry this person, wants to marry somebody else who she actually has fallen in love with. And the father, in the opening bars, for the first five minutes of this opera, sings out, a dark passion has arisen in my mind. And then about two minutes later, he sings, I'm in a rage. And about two minutes later, he sings, speak to me of nothing but vengeance. So then I said, you know, the first of those three utterances is actually a mindful remark. A dark passion has arisen in me. And so they have, at that point, you have two possibilities. You can either fan up that dark passion and flame it up into something. I'm in a rage, which then clouds your mind, which then causes you to not be able to make a good decision. Speak to me of nothing but vengeance. So that's how. Part one is plain. A dark passion has arisen in my mind. It got to be uh, a watchword between myself and uh, my daughter Emily, with whom I was traveling, because she heard me tell that story. And uh, there was, something came later in the day, something, I don't know, maybe it was uh, something came up that was an annoyance in uh, some other place or in the boarding line, something or other. But she leaned over and she said, a dark passion is arising in my mind. Because then you can stop it. And then you can say, hmm, dark passion is arising in my mind. Let's see what happens next. I wonder what I could do about this. I wonder what I could do to calm down that dark passion. I wonder what I could do that would add something good to the situation. And that last week when we talked about it, I said, that fork in the road Something arises that's a challenge, like a dark passion, or even that, you know, like I, I'm about to lose my temper, or uh, you go buy something and say, oh, that's a great looking pair of boots in the window. I already have two pair of boots, but that's a really good pair of boots, and it's on sale. So I could just run in, I have a few minutes, I could run in and buy those boots, or you could say to yourself, wait a minute, a passion of lust has arisen in my mind. Is this a good idea, or should I continue on since I already have two pair of boots? Maybe I could just go forward. So at the moment that the mind gets filled with a passion, I like to think that I have a rule. Sometimes I have this rule. Sometimes I forget the rule that the 
the catalogs that come in the mail, which you think, oh, they're still sending me this catalog. I don't want this catalog. But here it is. I'll just look in it. And then you look in it. You say, oh, look at this. A three-piece, wrinkle-free, never shows any dirt, traveling uh, outfit. And it comes in a petite size. Look at that. It's a half price. Wow. In four different colors. Wow. So, you know, that... I think I have a rule that you wait 24 hours before you act on that decision. Mostly I have that rule, because then you look back and you say, this is ordinary looking, I don't need that. I already have enough stuff to travel in. And, but a passion arises in my mind, and the point which I'm dwelling on, because I'm about to give you a piece of extraordinary literature, it's the, it is the faith verses of the third Zen patriarch. And it's all about keeping your mind from getting carried away by passions. The, the, the fundamental teaching of the Buddha comes this way. Challenges arise. A challenge is, whoa, look at those boots. Or, whoa, look what that guy said. And that, all this dark passion arise. My son doesn't want to listen. My daughter doesn't want to listen. This doesn't want to happen. I could say, what should I do now and make a decision? Or I could fly off and do any of these impulses. The difference between us and, and animals with less developed brains and our, is that we have impulse control. We can think, is this good for me in the short run, in the long run? Is it good for everybody else? I care about everybody else. We have that possibility. The first noble truth is there are challenges. The second is Suffering, uh, suffering arises in the mind when it is unable to accommodate the challenge of the moment, when it's unable to acknowledge or um, make itself at ease in the challenge of the moment. That doesn't mean not have the challenge. It means not have uh, uh, a certain amount of maneuvering ability in the challenge. We think to ourselves, I'm going to the dentist. I really, this is a big dental thing. I hate going to the dentist. Fui. Really don't want to go to the dentist. But around that, we have, okay, it's a time-limited thing, the dentist. You just go. You make the best. You sit down. You, you plug in earphones. You do it. We have, we have maneuvering room around, around whatever it is. Uh, people who have... Uh, flying uh, difficulties. Maybe somebody here has difficulty flying. <laughs> I was working with that yesterday. I flew. It's a five-hour flight. It was a fast flight. It was five hours from Washington to, to San Francisco. That's pretty fast. It's not so fast if you're in the middle of the back, pushed in, and your body starts to feel, and the person before you lies back a little bit, and you see like this. And after a while, I, maybe you have a different body, but it starts to be very uncomfortable. And I kept thinking, this is very uncomfortable. And I start to think, I almost start to think long stories about, it's really stupid of me to decide to do this. I shouldn't be flying around. You know, it's, now is the time for somebody else. Younger people, they should go, why am I here? Well, I wanted to come with Emily, but you should have inhibited that. Or I can say to myself, listen, all of these people, miraculously, are sitting quietly. They're equally uncomfortable. Look at human beings are fantastic. 
there's like 250 people in this plane and nobody is committing mayhem. That's really amazing. You know, I'm, I celebrate them. It's impossible to walk up and down the aisles. I'm a small person, but it's still impossible. You have to plan to get up and make a run for it to the, to the restroom because there shouldn't be anybody else in there or anybody big. He can't, he can't. So I've been, I was saying, I have to think of, I was thinking on the plane, I have to think of a, of a way to teach this in an exalted way. The Buddha said, whatever your mind dwells on and whatever it focuses on, by that is it shaped, which means if I want to dwell on, this is uncomfortable, what an idiot I was, why should I come, I shouldn't do this, this is not worth it. I don't make anything better. And I, all I do is I make my mind tighter and tighter. If I think to myself, oh, look at this, five hours from Washington to San Francisco in a covered wagon, this would have taken months. People could have lived and died and gotten pregnant and had babies and buried them on the way, whatever. This is nothing, five hours. Who can't sit five hours? Anybody can sit five hours. Making the mind bigger is what it's called. And that's, that's, that's a possibility of people with reflective thinking. Because we have these big brains. We can think ahead. We could think back. Listen, you, thought you did this flight lots of times. You had lots of thoughts about, I can't stand it. Of course you can stand it. You're standing it, so just relax. Don't tell any stories to yourself. The mind runs amok in telling stories, especially when it gets tired. Starts to tell stories, so then it has to tell good stories about, look at these people, these flight attendants. What a job this is. This is a, they have to do this every day, twice a day. You can do something with your attention, is what the Buddha said. Life is challenging. We struggle, we suffer if we struggle with how things are. That's actually the second noble truth. And uh, sometimes it's more um, arcane in its expression, the direct translation of what the Buddha said is, um, uh, the cause of suffering is um, craving. But it really means it's the mind that's saying, it has to be different from this. That's the craving in the mind. And the third noble truth is that that movement of the mind that says it has to be different, we could learn not to have it. We could say it's not different. It's like this. Remember I was talking about Ajahn Amaro before? Just like this. Whatever it is, people with terrible diagnoses, sad diagnoses, say it's like this. I have that. Not happy about it. But I, and I'm, I'm actually sad about it. Being, being mindful doesn't preclude being sad, doesn't preclude grieving. It precludes suffering. That's actually the only thing that I, 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 I always think of my friend Sally Clough, Sally Armstrong now, who uh, always manages uh, to bring it in because it's such a cute line. She says, the Buddha said I came, and it's a quote from the Buddha, the Buddha says, I came to teach one thing and one thing only, suffering in the end of suffering. And Sally said, that sounds to me like two things. But, <laughs> but it's much more poetic to say the other way, suffering in the end of suffering. But needing to have it otherwise, and everybody here could probably tell a story of somebody they know who nobly said in some situation, 
including the situations of dying. I didn't want this to happen, but it is. And uh, the only thing that really the mind does, it can't change things, but it can change how we hold things. I'm really sorry about how things are, but... And sometimes that, that leads people to have the really erroneous view that Buddhism is a passive kind of a practice that, okay, whatever it is, you just accept it. And it's a, that, that has nothing at all uh, in terms of resonance with what the Buddha taught, because what he taught in terms of uh, wisdom about clear-mindedness and understanding is that it leads to what in the texts is called clear comprehension of purpose. What should I do now? And that the, the understanding uh, that I talked about when we first started about the world is killing itself. You read the newspaper every day, it's so painful. Everybody's doing something difficult to somebody else. And to be able to say, we could do it differently. Yeah. That's right. Oh, I, well, I, I don't know what I said last week, but really what, another way to say it is not craving in the mind, but it's in the imperative in the mind that things be different. The imperative in the mind, I can't stand it like it, that it's this. It is like this. That was really what I learned from Ajahn Amra with his little, uh, Ajahn Sumedho with his little gesture. It's like this, a dark passion has arisen in my mind. There is anger and there's, there's trouble in my sangha. Okay, let me think about what to do. What that meant to me, and this is the piece that I really want to do with you communally today. Wait, wait. Uh, da, da, da. That, that, that that little piece, let's put it together with the, the example from the opera, a, a passion arises in me, not even a dark passion, a, a, like a negative passion or uh, an aversion to something, a lust for something. Something arises in my mind all of a sudden that catches it and it is an imperative. I have to have those boots now, I have to speak up now. Rather than, hmm, this is what's happening. I wonder what's gonna happen next and I wonder what I should do. That in that moment, there's a moment of choice and having a moment of choice maintains the equanimity in the mind. It maintains the peace in the mind. And I think about those moments where there's suddenly like a, 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 a challenge in the mind. It's like a dust up in the mind and you don't see clearly in that moment if you don't wait um, for the dust to settle, which doesn't mean a long time. It means long enough to say, whoa, a passion has arisen in my mind. Relax, what's going on? Did anybody remember uh, a, a children's cartoon show of not so long ago called Blue's Clues? Do you remember that? Yeah, remember Blue's Clues? Who remembers Blue's Clues? Blue's, Blue was a dog, wasn't he? Yeah. And his clue usually was, uh, do you remember it, Vicki? What? Well, I remember seeing it. I don't remember it thematically. So. Uh, the, the one Blue's Clues I remember 
is a child is crayoning and with a lots of different, and he's got a whole, uh, right next to his desk or hers is a big tray of uh, zillions of crayons. And he's, or she is not paying good attention and he, she or he says something to his mother and he does it, whoa, and he, she knocks over the glass of milk into this huge box of hundreds of crayons. And you see the mother's eyes open and the hair stands up. And here comes Blue into the corner of the picture. Blue, the dog with his Blue's clue. First clue, stop. Take a breath. And you see this mother taking a breath. In and out. <sighs> Reflect. You see the mother thinking. That doesn't say reflect, it says think. And then she says, let's clean up these crayons together. And so that the blues clues was in the moment when the passion arises, stop, take a breath, and reassess. That's the whole life. Stop, stop, take a breath, and reassess. And then you can judge, what should I do now? I went uh, to a meeting of the... Um, wasn't the Foreign Relations Committee. It was some committee meeting. And on the day that I was in uh, the uh, uh, House uh, Senate office building, there was a, 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 uh, uh, a meeting. And there, the committee meetings are open. You just walk in and sit down. And there's maybe 50 or 100 people in the meeting room. You've probably seen them on TV. And you see somebody getting. Uh, interrogate, quizzed, giving testimony, and here are all these senators. And, I, and it, uh, I did it last time, I was in Washington, and yesterday again, and the presenter was presenting a bill that I actually think sounds very good, that's going to really have all the prisoners in the prison system have their sentences re-examined, because about a quarter of them are in there for non-violent uh, long ago uh, drug crimes uh, that didn't involve like huge selling or long ago when they were young nonviolent but they're spending their lives in prison and if they went through it probably a quarter of the people in prison could be out and we have five percent of the world's population living in the United States and 25 percent of the world's incarcerated population in the United States. So it's a terrible thing. It's a, just a terrible inhumanity. And this person was giving the testimony about, the person was a woman who's the assistant attorney general. I'm sorry I have forgotten her name this minute. And after she put, points out all points about it and the fact that it doesn't change any minimum, uh, any uh, 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 what do you call it, guaranteed minimum. It doesn't change anything that anybody might really worry about. It just makes things better. One of the senators, reading from prepared documents, says, well, I'm worried about this bill because it uh, does X, Y, and Z, after the presenter has just said, specifically, it doesn't do X, Y, and Z. And here's this person reading from prepared notes. I'm worried about this because it does X, Y, and Z. And I start to, a dark passion arises in me. <laughs> And I think, why doesn't everybody stand up and say, listen, that's not what she just said. How about, <laughs> how about listening? 
But I sit, and everybody sits, and all these people writing notes. And then after I, I think about it, I thought, that doesn't mean, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not that government doesn't do anything. It's that that happened, and it will move forward. But uh, that everybody keeps it together. I was so impressed. But at any moment, we have this, ah, I think that what, what the training about, uh, the fourth noble truth, the third noble truth is that the mind can get trained to say, okay, let's see what happens next. And that the fourth noble truth are the eightfold path, which if you go up to the prayer wheel just at the top of the lower campus, is the uh, understanding and, and determination and wise speech and wise action, wise livelihood, wise <coughs> mindfulness, wise... Uh, concentration, and most of all, I think, wise effort. That moment of saying, oh, what do I want to do now? Wise effort is the Buddha saying, at every moment, every fork in the road in the mind, you think to yourself, is what I am going to do adding to or taking away from wholesome states in my mind? Is it creating unwholesome states in my mind? Dark passion has arisen in me. Okay, relax, and let's reassess, and it'll go away. Not let's fan it up into a fire. So last week, I, I also said that really there are just a few things to say. I, maybe I'll teach her another 10 years, but I'll still be saying the same thing. It's it, 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 all the way from Blue's Clues up to the Buddha. It's all the same <clears throat> about think a minute. Um, I also taught my practice of TIO in the, in the Senate office building, thinking it over. So if somebody says, do you want to do X, Y, and Z? I think to myself, I'll let you know. And I have this practice, TIO, think it over. And so you don't blurt out something wrong. I said, I'm going to amend that practice to TIOIA, think it over in advance of saying anything so that you don't find yourself in the middle of a sentence, in the middle of a road that you don't want to go down. And I said there are a few, there are, you know, there's a tremendous Buddhist canon, but there are a few pieces of teaching that we could just read over and over and over again, and in it would be all of the same things. One of them, and we started to talk about it last week, is the faith verses of the third Zen patriarch. I'll tell you more about him next week because I want to work on it. But the beginning of it, is a, a fr is the first sentence is one I heard very early on, which is now 35 or 40 years ago, where it said, the, and where it translates really as, the great way is not difficult for those who, are, who have no preferences, is how I heard it first. It, it can, it, obviously it wasn't in English, so I have another way of interpreting that, but great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. And I thought, I'm clearly not going to make the great way then, because I have preferences about everything, you know. We all do. Uh, you want to go to this movie or that movie, vanilla or chocolate? You want to stay home or go out or whatever, I, you know, this person, that person. Well, a lot of and I, you know, I, I prefer that I be healthy than not healthy, or that my children or my grandchildren. A lot of preference. I have a lot of ways of being disappointed when it doesn't go the way of my preference. And I, and I really have begun to see that the, 
really the translation that works for me is the great way is not difficult for those who are not um, addicted or attached to their, per to their preferences. The, the difference between it has to be this way and I'd rather it wasn't, but this is how it is. How am I going to manage now? So it seems to me that the first two lines are the most important. But I also last week said, you know, everybody should have a copy of that. So I made everybody a copy of that. So if you want to be a monitor and monitor out some of these for everybody. And... I have a little tiny book of this that I carried around for decades in my purse. You never know when you're going to be on a long flight or something and you can just read it over to yourself. Because people study it like they do a breviary, a little prayer book that people carry in their purse or in their wallet. So you could put this in your purse and keep it there for when you're on a long flight. So what I'd like for you to do, because this would be fun at this point, is get a partner. Look at somebody and give them a sign and get a partner. Get a partner. Everybody get a partner. Partner. So here we go, yoo-hoo. How can you be doing it if I didn't give you the homework? <laughs> so it's even on two sides of the page. So uh, how about I'll give you like a hint. I'll tell you some of the, uh, the very first, the very first paragraph, make a mark around that. Why don't you make a mark around the top paragraph in the second row? Do not search for the truth. And why don't you make, on, on the second row, on the first side, make a circle around that one. When the thought is in bondage, the truth is hidden. And particularly because my friend James Barras likes to teach whole lectures about that particular line, the burdensome practice of judging brings annoyance and weariness. There's a lot to say about that. When the thought, that second to the end. The, the first paragraph on the second row. 
when the, do not search for the truth i once had a hundred pencils made you know those pencil companies that write things on the pencil i got a hundred pencils that said only cease to cherish opinions The first, the very first paragraph. Okay, so we'll, we'll do, I could make an assignment, like these people are going to do one, these are going to be two, and this is going to be three. But why don't you and your partner look at all three of them and decide which one you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. The, the very first paragraph, the great way is not difficult. Okay. So you just have, just take five, ten minutes because you could do all three of them. And talk about that. Where do you see that in your own life? Did you ever have an experience of giving up uh, an opinion and then really seeing the truth? How would you teach that paragraph to other people from your personal experience? Does that make any sense? Okay. Ready, set, go. You want me to announce about you're needing a job? You want me to get a job? No. Okay.
No, I like it that I, I actually like it that um, I like very much that nobody had nothing to say I mean, uh, uh, because I think like I, I think it's a really extraordinary teaching in instrument because I think we could talk about it for a while and I'd actually like to talk about it for a while. For in these five minutes, I would really like it if at least five people would volunteer to say, we thought X about Y. The one minute say. There you go. Hi. Uh, well, I, I had a little bit of a hard time with it because I, I understand that it's not good to be attached to your opinions and it's, it's also really good to not um, judge people. But I do think that at some point, like we were using the example, somebody is beating a child I do have an opinion that's not okay, and so mm -hmm. ha, um, I, I, I kept, I kept thinking, well, maybe I'm not really a good Buddhist because <laughs> I have opinions about what how the world should be, like it should be peaceful, and I know it's the the suffering is being attached to that and judging mm -hmm. people, but like I would stop somebody who was beating a child. I think all of us would. I think actually. The, the thing is, could we stop people without having a view of them that, that we hate them? Could we just stop them? Yeah. Could we just stop them? But the, here's a way to talk about This is great. Who else wants to say? Brown, were you getting ready to say something? Um, <laughs> I wasn't, but I will. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and I partnered with my husband, so that in itself is interesting. I said, just talk to me as if I was not your wife. <laughs> <laughs> how that goes. But, you know, um, I think the important thing that you say, Syl, changes the whole thing when you say those who are not, not to be attached to preferences, because otherwise, as, as you said, and my husband so clearly says, you know, we all, so we should all just not have any, just be neutral about everything. And I don't think that's really so, that we should be neutral. I mean, we just I think for me, it's recognizing when I go astray, because I know how I do suffer, mm -hmm. and I could think of particular things where <laughs> I did not get what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And it re I, mean, I really, I really like, cherished getting that, but I didn't tell anyone I wanted it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get it, and I really suffered after it, and mm -hmm. I had to really work with, what do I want to do with this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, good, good, yeah. good. Thank you very much. Just five different things. We could talk a long time, and I, I have an idea for into the future. There you go. Elizabeth and I came up with a very interesting uh, thought pattern here, having to do with uh, avoid such pursuits carefully. If there is even a trace of this and that, 
of right and wrong, the mind essence will be lost in confusion. I think what happens with people is that they cling to right and wrong because they're afraid that if they let go of what's right, mm -hmm. they will be lost in confusion mm -hmm. because their whole world view will fall apart. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very paradoxical mm -hmm. that to actually trust that being able to embrace a larger and larger perspective mm -hmm. will bring clarity rather than confusion. Thank you very much, Marty. Here comes Nancy over here. The thing about opinions is that, that's a problem with opinions, is that not everybody has the same opinions that I do. <laughs> and I have found that, yeah, I have found that by not being attached to my opinions, harmony increases in my relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. There you go. Oh, that's great. I'm, okay, here, here, here. And then you. Remind um, me of your name. Angela. Angela. Hi. So one of the things that that particular phrase about this and that and right and wrong brought up for me is that I uh, gravitate towards happiness and I want to be happy. And so I can create a lot of strife and unhappiness by clinging to happiness is the state of being I want to be in versus accepting that unhappiness is just as valid and not any less mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. than happiness. And, and I can create a lot of flurry around me mm -hmm. trying to make happiness happen. And so versus right and wrong and judgment, it's same thing for me with happiness and sadness. Mm -hmm. They both are valid. I think that's a very important point. Each of these we could talk about a long time. Over here, Anne. There you go. Thanks. We could talk about that a long time. To be able to say, I'm unhappy, but you know, it's a, I'm, I'm having an off day. It's a bad hair day. I don't feel good today, but <laughs> maybe tomorrow. Let's see what happens next. <laughs> so um, all of the above, of course. Mm -hmm. And on a personal level, level, I had a very, very deep experience. I'm a writer, and I've been writing some memoir. And there are certain things that I, I don't know if they happened or not. The truth is hidden. And I have struggled and struggled with, did this happen? Did this not happen? What did it mean? But when I sit quietly and I get rid of all my opinions of this or that, it all becomes clear. And this is such a wonderful, I'm going to put this on my desk. <laughs> this is such a wonderful reminder because... When the thought is in bondage, the truth is hidden. It's like, it's so perfect. Well, it's a very, very, it's a, it is very perfect. I'll tell you what, I, I see it's 11 o'clock, so here's my, wait, wait, we'll have one more, but uh, I'm not in a rush, but some people have to leave. I, this is my plan. Next week, I will bring the same thing again, but you try to bring yours so we don't go through too many forests, but if you can remember, bring yours. And I'm going to bring another piece of paper of another much smaller piece of poem that also is one of those things, like if there are three things that we should learn in our life, it could be this and the thing I'm going to bring you next week. 
and we'll read them together and work on them together because everything that everybody's saying is so important, as you just said, all of the above. We could take any line of this. Anybody talked about the burdensome practice of judging brings, um, <laughs> brings annoyance. You want to say something about it? Yours could be... Okay. <laughs> I don't want to prolong anything, but we certainly did, and it was a, a lovely way to get to chat with a, a new person, and the burdensome practicing practice of judging is a huge challenge for some of us, whether it's not to think badly of someone who leaves trash on the ground that you then pick up, or in my case, in leading groups, um, and they're taking too long to get to the right decision, and I just want, you know... <laughs> That's exactly, you know, because <laughs> the operative word is too, because it's your, in your opinion, too long. People have taken long to come to a decision. They need a long time to come to a decision. Well, who decides what is too long? It might be long. What are we going to say, Brown? I want to just say that, you know, it's, I love that line, the burdensome practice of judging. It is like a, when I walk around that way, for me, I feel like I'm carrying a big weight. And it's exhaust. I find myself exhausted, mm -hmm. but I also find myself exhausted when I'm around others who practice that. Yeah. You know, so I, I just, yeah. It's a lot to say, Susan. Yeah. Um, I've been in these situations where, in a car, I'm in a car, and. Um, Something happens and you just know you're right and the other car is wrong, <laughs> you know. So, and I've also been in the situation where I have really tried to teach this person how wrong they are <laughs> and how right I am. And, and, and then I'm exhausted. Well, the other day I was at the Good Earth and I, I pulled into the parking lot and as I was pulling into the parking lot, somebody started pulling out and I had to stop really fast and, um, and I thought to myself, well, you know, she's wrong and I'm right because I have the right of way. Yeah. Well, she, she, I parked, she came over to me and started screaming at me yeah. about how wrong I was and, you know, how terrible a driver I was and that I was going to have a terrible accident someday and on and on. Anyway, what I did was I thought, do I want to get exhausted arguing with this person or just go in the good earth and get a nice lunch. Yeah. So I said to her, I'm sorry, have a nice day. And I went in and I thought I saved myself so much <laughs> energy by yeah. not being right. Right. I think that's such yeah. a crucial point. I yeah. saved myself. I did not befoul my own mind. Right. But it's such a lure, you know, it's like a fish. And here comes a tantalizing lure, and you want to go for it and say, you know, I'm going to sit this one out. It's a really a great relief. Yeah. Uh, great. Listen, we could use this for the rest of our lives. We won't use it for the rest of our lives, but bring it next week. Try to put it in your purse. Don't take it out of your purse, and it'll be in it. And I'll see you next Wednesday, and I'll bring you another one. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.